Well, howdy. howdy. All right. It is uh, so good to be here with you all this morning. Just in the short time that I've been here, I just I love this church and what's happening here. I'm so thankful for Curtis and uh, his ministry. And so uh, it's really a joy and a privilege to get to be here. I will say that as I was preparing, I just felt all this pressure. I was just thinking, man, this is my first time um, with these people. And so as I was just kind of figuring out what the Lord would have me share, I, I felt like he put Genesis chapter 36 on my heart. Um, now, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you might be thinking, okay, um, I know that the life of Joseph is towards the, the back of the book of Genesis, so maybe we're talking about the life of Joseph, and if that's the case, man, that's kind of exciting because the life of Joseph, man, it's a, it's a pretty amazing story. Uh, well, the life of Joseph actually starts in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at Genesis 36, which is actually, it's, uh, it's the genealogy of Esau. So you know those chapters in your Bible that you joyfully skip over because it's just a list of names? Yeah, that's where we're going this morning. So if you're a visitor, welcome. You'll probably never see me again. But um, anyway, so glad to be here uh, with you. Um, you know, it is going to, Genesis 36, it's kind of like the Hebrew phone book. So if you wouldn't read the phone book for pleasure, which we don't even have phone books anymore, so that's an old reference. The people under 15 here are like, I don't get it. Okay, uh, that's fine. There's these things called phone books. It's besides the point. Um, it's going to feel a little bit like that, but I, I firmly believe that this chapter has some massive truth that's going to demand some movement in our lives. And I think that the best way I can set it up is just reminding you of what some of y'all experienced in your childhood. I know that as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but think of uh, Where's Waldo? I don't know if you guys remember Where's Waldo. If you're not familiar with it, um, basically there's these books called Where's Waldo? And um, I usually spend time reading these books when I was at like the doctor's office or the dentist or something like that. But you open up these books and you see pages that look kind of like this. It looks like that. It's just a picture of a bunch of people. And so sometimes it'll be a picture of people at the park or the beach or I don't know. But uh, these different pictures of groups of people and it is your job to ask the question, where's Waldo. And so you're actually trying to locate a guy that looks like this. That's Waldo. And so you have to ask the question, where is Waldo? And the whole reason, the, the, the only way that you are able to locate Waldo is by looking for and identifying the guy with the stripes and the striped beanie. And I don't know why Waldo wore a beanie at all times of the year. Even in the summer, I guess that's kind of the hipster way of doing things now anyway. But um, you would always look for Waldo and you would look for his stripes. That's what made him um, stand out. And as I looked at Waldo, I just had the thought, man, Waldo was always surrounded by people, yet he was distinguishable. He was kind of, in a sense, in the world, yet he looked different from it. And as I thought about that, I just thought, man, that statement should really be true of anyone who would call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we should be in the world, yet we should look different from it. Why? Because Jesus Christ is in the business of radically changing lives. 
Genesis chapter 36 is going, to throw a, is going to show us three ways that our lives as Christians should look different. It is by no means an exhaustive list, but it is a convicting one. And it will demand movement in our lives, but I promise you it is for our joy. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me uh, to the Hebrew phone book, Genesis chapter 36. That's where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, I'll just say this. If, um, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know I'm so glad you're here. And here's my hope for you. As I am calling the Christians in the room this morning to live more authentically Christian lives, what I hope you hear is that life with Jesus Christ truly is worth it. All right? So here we go. Genesis 36, let me just read you verse 1 because it is going to just remind us of what we are getting ourselves into this morning. It says this, these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Okay, so that's just a summary statement of the chapter. These are the generations of Esau. So Genesis 36 is just an overview of the life and family tree of Esau. If you're not familiar with who Esau is, well, I'll just kind of fill you in real quick. Genesis is considered the book of beginnings. And it kind of chronicles the lives of four different people, primarily. There's Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, and Jacob's son Joseph. Okay? Esau, the, the place he falls in is that he's, he's one of Isaac's sons and he's the brother of Jacob. And what you need to know about Esau is that his life is a very good picture of what life without God in this world can look like. So if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I think we're safe to say that your life should probably look different than Esau's life. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look back at verse one and I wanna direct your attention to the few words that are in parentheses. These are words that we normally blow past, especially because they're in parentheses because they don't seem that important Uh, but they actually are packed full of meaning. It says, these are the generations of Esau. That is Edom. Here's why this is so important. Edom is actually another name for Esau, and it literally means red. And what this is doing is it is pointing us directly back to Genesis 25, where we read about Esau's greatest failure in life. See, God had established this family structure where the oldest son was set up to receive a double portion of inheritance and the right to lead the family. Okay, Esau was the firstborn son. So he was set up to receive a double portion of inheritance as well as the right to lead the family. But not only that, because Esau was the grandson of Abraham, he was in line to receive all of these significant promises that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. But in Genesis chapter 25, Esau, who is a hunter, comes in from a long long day of work. He is starving. So he strikes up a deal with his younger deceitful brother named Jacob. And what Esau does is he trades his birthright for a bowl of red. Edom means red for a bowl of red stew. And that decision changes the trajectory of his life. See, what happens is 
Esau was driven by his desire. And what he did was he chose the the short-term gratification of his physical appetite over the long-term satisfaction of the spiritual and physical blessings of God. And let me show you the result. The result was massive amounts of regret. And the author of Hebrews kind of clues us into this regret. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, here's what he says about Esau. He says, for you know that afterward when he, that's Esau, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Massive amounts of regret. And here's why this is important for us. We live in a world that declares that if it feels good now, you should probably do it now. So if, uh, if you want nicer clothes or a nicer car or a bigger house, the world would say, that's the beauty of credit. And so you have a world full of a bunch of $30,000 millionaires, people who make $30,000, dollars $60,000 living like they make millions. If you are single and your hormones are raging, what does the world say? The world says, um, you know what? There is no need to put in the time and effort of cultivating a long, pure dating relationship that finally culminates in marriage. You can have what's called a one-night stand. Purely physical, no strings attached. If you're married and your marriage isn't panning out how you thought it would and you don't feel like your needs are being met, the world would say just escape to fantasy worlds on the internet. If you've had a tough day, a tough week, a tough month, a tough year, and you're dealing with some emotional pain, then the world would say you can pacify your pain with alcohol, drugs, or prescription pills. Here is the only problem. The only problem is that often short-term gratification, which is ultimate in this world. We live in a world where short-term gratification is ultimate. If it feels good now, you should do it now. The only problem is that often short-term gratification is followed up by long-term regret, and I would add guilt and shame. That's why there are tons of people saying, I never should have cut those corners at work. I never should have maxed out credit card after credit card after credit card. I never should have gotten involved with that guy. I never should have gone home night after night with someone else. I never should have gotten involved with that group of people. I never should have cheated that person out of what was rightfully theirs. I never should have walked out on my family. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, our lives should look different in this way. We should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret in our lives. Really for two reasons. There's two reasons why we should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret. Number one, because of the truth of Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Paul declares this, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is incredible news. If you're not a Christian, this is really what's on the table for you. We're not inviting you into some religious system with a bunch of good rituals. No, what's on the table for you is complete forgiveness. That is what Jesus Christ has purchased for us on the cross, that all of our failures, past, present, and future, have already been dealt with. They've been taken away so that when a perfect, holy God looks at us, imperfect, unholy people, he can still extend his love and his approval and his acceptance. See, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And here's the great news. As Christians, 
our lives are no longer defined by our failures. Like we are no longer defined by what has gone wrong in our lives. No, our lives are defined by his forgiveness. I'll say it a different way. And I hope that some of y'all, because some of y'all desperately need to hear this. Okay, your failures, because of Christ, your failures no longer have to be anchors of guilt, shame, and regret that you have to tow around through life. Now, your failures actually become trophies of God's grace and goodness and kindness towards you. That's the first reason why our lives as Christians should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret. The second reason our lives should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret is because of the beautiful truth of 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's great news. Because when you know Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, You are new. You might not look new, although that might be nice. You might not look new. You might not feel new. But according to scripture, you are new. And I just wonder if anyone walked in here this morning desperately in need of a new start. Maybe that's exactly why you're here. Because life is not what you thought it would be. And you wouldn't mind hitting the reset button. And that's what Jesus offers. He offers you a new start. That's what he's in the business of doing is giving clean starts to messy lives. But I want you to know the reason that we are truly new is because the God of the universe actually comes and takes up residence inside of us. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that if you are a Christian, God lives inside of you. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus Christ actually lives inside of you through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And the, the, the great thing that we all need to realize is that that presence has never been meant to be passive. It's always been God's intention that it would be an active presence. So Galatians 5 tells us that it is God's aim to to evidence things in our lives like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And then what's that big one at the end? Self-control. I wonder if anyone could use a shot of self-control this morning. Just me? Okay, great, whatever. But that's God's aim This is why you're truly new because God himself actually lives inside of you and he is committed to leading you away from the things that will bring guilt, shame, and regret and he's committed to leading you towards the things that will bring joy and peace and satisfaction if you will surrender to his leading and his lordship. It's kind of like this. Several years ago, I found myself watching a, uh, a Japanese game show on TV. If, uh, if you've never seen one, it's kind of like the TV show Wipeout. I don't know if that's on TV anymore, but kind of like that. And uh, basically, there was this pool of contestants that were running this obstacle course. And there was this point on the obstacle course where there were four different doorways. And each doorway was covered over by paper. And so the thought was that these contestants would run full steam Eeny, meeny, miny, mo the door frames, pick one, run, and burst through the paper and keep on going and continue on. 
Uh, the only catch was that behind three of the four door frames were wooden beams. <laughs> and so what you saw contestant after, what you saw was contestant after contestant run full speed, pick a door frame, burst through it, and experience massive amounts of regret. <laughs> but Okay, now follow me on this. Halfway through the pool of contestants, something changed. Instead of contestants getting to this part of the course and just eeny, meeny, miny, mowing it, picking one and hoping for the best, what happened was you would see them running full speed and then they would just stop. And they would begin to stare because what they realized from watching the other contestants was that if they waited long enough, the sunlight would hit the paper and illuminate which doorways led to regret and which one led to life. And as I thought about that, I was like, that's Christ in us. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is the one who illuminates our lives and he shows us all of the different ways in this world. If we will allow him to take ownership and leadership of our lives, he will generously and gladly illuminate all of the ways in life that will lead to guilt, shame, regret, pain, heartache. If we will let him, he will illuminate the one true way that will bring joy, peace, and life. The first way that our lives as Christians should look different is that we should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret. Look back at the text with me. Verses two and three. It says this, Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Adah, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, Aholibama, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Neboath. Can I get an Amen. Anyone want to claim those two verses as your life verses? Like, praise be to God, Genesis 36, 2 and 3. Just changed my life, praise be to God. Okay, those are, those are just names. But uh, here's the good news. These two verses actually tell us a lot about Esau's choices, specifically in marriage. It tells us two things. Number one, it tells us that Esau rebelled against God's general design for marriage. See, God's design is that one man and one woman would become one spiritually, emotionally, and physically, okay? Um, Esau rebelled against that by taking multiple wives. So he rebelled against God's general design for marriage. And then second, he rebelled against God's specific command because he married Canaanite women. God didn't want the Israelites marrying Canaanites because the Canaanite women did not know or honor God. Esau rebelled against God in these ways, and the result was drama in his marriages. And his drama actually spilled out into the lives of his other family members. You can go and read about it in Genesis. And as I look at this, and I look out into the world today, I think so many people experience similar types of drama in their dating relationships and in marriage. And I'll just say this, as followers of Christ, our lives should look different. Our lives should look different. We should have dating relationships and marriages that uh, bring joy, not steal it 
from us. And uh, I'm gonna go way out on a limb here. I'm gonna say something that some of you guys don't wanna hear. But I personally believe that followers of Christ should have the healthiest marriages in the world, okay? And I know, and you need to know, I am a mind reader, and you are right. I don't know what it's like to live with your spouse, all right? <laughs> I understand. But I firmly believe that Christians should have the healthiest marriages in the world, and I'll tell you why. Here, here's the first reason. The first reason is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have truly encountered Jesus, we have experienced oceans of unconditional love, forgiveness, and commitment that the rest of the world doesn't even know exists. Because we know Jesus, we have experienced uh, someone choosing to love us despite all of our offensive tendencies and all of our sin struggles and all of our insecurities. We have experienced someone um, so forgiving that he is committed to never bringing up our past failures ever again. We've experienced someone so committed to us that he actually laid down his life for us. So the reason we should have the healthiest dating relationships and the healthiest marriages is because we have learned unconditional love, forgiveness, and commitment from the one who wrote the book on these things. Second reason is because um, we know the inventor of romantic love. We know that, like you understand that Marriage, sex, connection between a man and a woman, it was all God's idea. He's the one who invented it. He's the one who thought it up. And I love it because God is so all about marriage and so all about physical intimacy that he put it on page two of the Bible. He didn't put it in some footnote towards the end. No, it's on page two. And it's towards the, the, the pinnacle of creation. He creates marriage. And I love it because he, at, at the point that he kind of puts marriage into existence, it's as if he's saying, look, okay, I haven't even given you all the ingredients necessary to make this happen because a man's gonna leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Technically right now, there's only two people in existence, Adam and Eve. So moms and dads don't even exist. So this isn't even possible, but I'm gonna go ahead and get it out there now because I'm pretty jacked about it, all right? So a man's gonna leave his father and his mother and the two are gonna become one flesh, one emotionally, spiritually, and physically. God's pretty excited about all of these things. But here's the great thing. As the inventor of it, can we all agree, and I might be going out on a limb here, but if you invent something, can we all agree that you probably know how it works best? I think that that's the way things work. Like if you invent it, you know how it works best. And God in his kindness hasn't just tossed marriage at us and said, tinker with it and figure it out. Good luck. No, he actually devoted an entire book of the Bible as an instruction manual for finding love, making love, and maintaining love. It's called the Song of Solomon. Go read it if you're over 18. (laughs) I'm serious. All right? (laughs) go read it because this book it's amazing that God in his goodness has unlocked for us how to do things well so for example if you're single and you want to know what kind of guy or girl you should be looking for read Song of Solomon 
If you're in a dating relationship and you want to know how to have a relationship that feels a lot like springtime, it feels like life. If you want to avoid a relationship that feels a lot like winter where there's zero signs of life, read Song of Solomon. You want to know how to improve your sex life? Hello, guys who are asleep right now. It's in Song of Solomon. It's just the Bible. You want to know how to fight better? You want to know how to cultivate a love that lasts a lifetime? God has spelled it out for us. Not only do we know the one who, in a sense, wrote the book on these things, we actually have the book. This is why we should have the healthiest dating relationships and the healthiest marriages in the world. Now, I want to make sure that you hear me on this. Here's a clarifying statement. I did not say that Christians should have the easiest marriages in the world. I definitely didn't say that. I did not say that Christians should have perfect marriages. Ask my wife. I am very imperfect. She will tell you. I did say that I believe Christians should have the healthiest marriages in the world. And just to be clear, in my opinion, one of the healthiest marriages out there is a man and a woman who are struggling to do life well together. But here's what they're saying. They're saying, this is a struggle, but I'm committed to this. And if we need to go to counseling, I will lay down my pride and I will go. And if two to three sessions doesn't solve it, we're gonna keep going. And if we have to be one of those couples who goes for weeks or months or even years, we're gonna do it. And during the days or the weeks or the seasons where I don't feel in love with this person, I'm gonna choose to love him or her because that's what Christ has done for me. Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and into earth and voluntarily went to the cross. He deserved to be worshiped as a king and he was crucified as a criminal because he chose to love us when we were unlovable. Look back at the text. Verse four says this. In Ada bore to Esau, Eliphaz, Basemath bore Reuel, and Aholibama bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. If, if you're pregnant right now, these are good options, all right? <laughs> so highlight these and talk about them over. Okay. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, pretty cool. All of his beasts, all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan, he went into a land away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. So Esau gets married, um, gets wealthy, has a bunch of kids, so he moves to a place called Seir, and from there his family tree just expands. And we know that because of the rest of the chapter, and we are not going to read the rest of the chapter because it literally is just a list of 80 plus names that I will really struggle to pronounce. But if you were to go and read the rest of the chapter, I will tell you what you would find, okay? Verses 10 through 13 will show you that Esau had five sons and 12 grandsons. Verses 15 through 19 will show you that some of them became political leaders. 
um, verses 20 through 30 will show you that they were dominant, that they took over districts. And then verses uh, 31 to 39 will show you that some of them, some of Esau's descendants even became kings. And that was actually the greatest accomplishment of Esau's family tree. Esau's family tree evolved into a kingdom that was known as the kingdom of the Edomites. Unfortunately, we know that the Edomites did not know or honor God because at different points in the Old Testament, you see the Edomites warring against the nation of Israel. Consequently, the Edomite race ceased to exist in 70 AD. And now watch this. Now, one of the only records we have of people who were once kings is a chapter in the Bible that the majority of us joyfully skip over. And I think it shows us something very important. I think that there is this desire in us to race to the top. There's this hunger in us for significance. Like we fear being nobodies. We long to know that we are somebody. Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley, he calls it this need for the er factor. I love it. He said, we're people that need to know that we are smart, er, strong, er, funny, er, pretty, er, skinny, er, wealthy, er, successful, er, than the people (laughs) around us. And often, What we need is we need the people around us to be nobodies so that we can feel like somebodies. But when you look at Esau's family tree and the fact that these kings are now, the only record we really have of them are in this chapter that the majority of us don't read. It just shows us the way that this world works and the way that the ocean tide of this world operates. You spend your life building your kingdom. You spend your life cultivating your success and your wealth and your status. And then the minute you're gone, the ocean tide of this world comes and washes it all away. No one even remembers you were here. Someone else moves into the same plot of land and begins building their kingdom. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, our lives should look different because our ambitions are now different. We aren't people who spend our lives seeking the earth factor because Jesus has transformed us. So we want to spend our lives promoting the one who has the est factor. Jesus Christ is strongest, wisest. This is the one that we give our lives to. We surrender our lives to promoting him. Our ambitions change. It's no longer about being famous. It's about being faithful. See, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he saves you and then he sends you. And 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that the label he puts on our lives is ambassador. You want a great title in life? Well, you're a child of God and you're an ambassador of the King. Jesus Christ is said to have the name that's above every name. So what this means is you don't need to spend your life trying to make a name for yourself. It's already been decided who has the greatest name in all of history, and that name is Jesus. And so don't spend your life trying to make a name for yourself. 
Spend your life trying to promote the name that is above every name. That's Jesus Christ. Don't strive to be famous. Aim to be faithful. Genesis chapter 36 makes one thing really clear. As followers of Jesus Christ, our lives should look different. They should. Why? Because we are different. Our lives should look different because we are different. We are people who have been forgiven. We are people who have been indwelt by God himself. We are people who have learned unconditional love, forgiveness, and commitment from the one who wrote the book on these things. And we actually have the book on finding love, making love, and maintaining love. Not only that, we have been saved by Jesus and we have been sent out by Jesus. We don't need the earth factor because we promote the one who has the est factor. Our lives should look different because we are different. And please do not miss this. All eyes on me right now. We are different to make a difference. We are different to make a difference. You know, when I was a child, I spent various times asking the question, where's Waldo? But people today aren't asking the question, where's Waldo? But they are asking the question, where is hope? Where is peace found? Where is joy found? Where is healing found? Where is true life found? Here's the hope. The hope is that they would find the answers to their questions. The answer is Jesus. The hope is that they would find that answer, Jesus, in us. But please don't miss this. What you need to know is a follower of Jesus Christ who is constantly towing around anchors of guilt, shame, and regret, a follower of Christ who is constantly giving himself over to the short-term gratification of the flesh, a follower of Jesus Christ who refuses to love, forgive, or commit in marriage, a follower of Jesus Christ who constantly strives for the earth factor, watch this, is like Waldo without stripes. You are in the world and you look no different from it. Now, let's just be clear. We are all missing stripes in one way or another. Every single one of us here is missing stripes in one way or another. We all struggle with hypocrisy. And if you're sitting there saying, I don't struggle with being a hypocrite, that's your struggle. You struggle with thinking you don't struggle. So we've just identified it. You're welcome. If you're not a Christian in here, I just want to apologize on behalf of all Christians because we will let you down. But we aren't, we aren't proclaiming to be perfect. We're just proclaiming that we know the, one, the only one who has ever been perfect, and that's Jesus. And his perfection has been credited to our imperfect lives so that a perfect holy God looks at us and still is able to pour out his love, acceptance, and approval upon our lives. And that love and acceptance and approval calls all of us this morning to take a step. God's grace and forgiveness is truly sufficient to cover over all of our failures and all of our hypocrisy, but it calls us to take a step this morning. What step will you take? If you towed in an anchor of guilt, shame, or regret, take a step. You leave it here this morning. You walk out of here free. 
Maybe you have gotten your mind and heart around the fact that God forgives you, but you refuse to forgive yourself. It's time to take a step. If you're constantly giving yourself over to short-term gratification in various areas of your life, can you just take a step this morning and acknowledge that before God, confess it to him, and invite his leadership into your life? Stop resisting his lordship. His leadership is good. He is a good king. Take a step. Can we all agree that there, are, that there is plenty of room for more love, more forgiveness, and more commitment in our marriages? Plenty of room for all of us. Can we take a step this morning? If you're realizing that you, you're striving for the title, you're striving for the status, you're striving for the earth factor, can you just acknowledge that before God and ask him to realign your ambitions, that you would be someone who lives to promote him, that you would, you would aim to be faithful instead of famous? Would you take a step this morning? And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just want to say I hope that it's clear to you now what is truly on the table this morning. What's on the table for you is complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. There's nothing that you could do that would cause God to to stiff arm you from his love. His grace is sufficient for you. And I don't even need to know what you've done. I can say that confidently. That's on the table, complete forgiveness, a brand new start in life. The God of the universe taking up residence inside of you, leading you in a new way, pouring out his unconditional love, forgiveness, and committing to being with you every moment of every day, calling you to be an ambassador, saving you, now sending you out, inviting you into a much more noble purpose. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that today you would open up your heart, open up your life, and you allow Jesus Christ to come in and to forgive you and begin leading you in a new way. I'll just end by asking this question. What step are you gonna take this morning so that your life as a follower of Jesus Christ can begin to look different? Let's pray together. What step are you gonna take this morning I just want to invite you with your eyes closed. What is that? What's God speaking to you this morning? What's he, in, what's he inviting you to do? What's he asking you to do? Figure it out now before you leave and, and get wrapped up in the busyness of life. What, what step can you take today? Lord Jesus, we need you. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. You are good. And we praise you that because of you, we have your unconditional love, your forgiveness, your commitment, Lord. You live in us through the presence of your Holy Spirit. You lead us in the right way when it comes to romantic relationships. God, you give us a noble purpose of living for your name. Lord, we're all missing stripes in one way or another. We, 
We all struggle with hypocrisy. We praise you for your grace and forgiveness, which is sufficient to cover over all of it. But would you, Lord, help us in this moment to know what step we can take so that we can begin to look different.